there is such a belief within us that things are mandatory in the hospital, that we have no control, that we don't own our bodies once we're in there, and that somehow the state owns us. Um, how does the placenta come out? And when does this happen? Will someone be able to assist me with breastfeeding as soon as the baby is born? I have an easy answer to that. I'm Cynthia Overgaard, owner of Hypnobirthing of Connecticut, childbirth advocate, and postpartum support specialist. And I'm Trisha Ludwig, certified nurse midwife and international board-certified lactation consultant. And this is the Down to Birth podcast. Childbirth is something we're made to do, but how do we have our safest and most satisfying experience in today's medical culture? Let's dispel the myths and get down to birth. It's Wednesday, and we are back with another Q&A for you today. Yay! We did get some really good new questions for this week's Q&A, so shall we jump in? Let's do it. So the first question is about newborn interventions. So standard newborn interventions are erythromycin, also known as the antibiotic ISAV, vitamin K injection, which is a synthetic vitamin K. Those are the two biggies. Okay. Which newborn tests or exams are we able to opt out of and which are mandatory? There is still a belief, no matter what we say and no matter how many times we say it, there is such a belief within us that things are mandatory in the hospital, that we have no control, that we don't own our bodies once we're in there, and that somehow the state owns us. The state does not own us. The hospital does not own us. And the first point to make here is you can opt out of absolutely anything and everything. Now, if you're seeing a doctor during your pregnancy, it's possible if you refuse some tests, they might say, well, then I won't work with you. That's within their right. But once you're in a hospital, it isn't within their right. They must serve you whether or not you adhere to hospital policy. You know, everyone knows whether or not you have insurance. I mean, there's a law in this country that you must be served. And because of voluntary informed consent laws, you may always refuse an intervention or a test or any procedure. So the key point is, this is why education is so important because now that you know you have the right to make those decisions, what decision will you make? And that's why we're so responsible in getting educated and making our own decisions because it is in, in within our control. That's the first point I wanted to make because no one, not we, not your childbirth educator, not your doula, not your family members, and not your doctor or nurse should tell you what decisions you must make around your baby. So therefore, you must be responsible. Yes. So I think what um, couples struggle with a lot is if these tests and exams are so routine and I say no, how am I going to be treated and am I making the right decision to have or have not to have these tests? Um, and so let's talk about why you might choose or choose not to have them. Erythromycin tends to be an easier one for people than vitamin K. Erythromycin is an antibiotic eye ointment that specifically addresses chlamydia and gonorrhea. So if you know for a fact that you do not have gonorrhea or chlamydia, you know for a fact your baby didn't contract it from you vaginally in coming through you. The way these laws get passed is that assumption that a woman in labor might just walk into a hospital off the street. The question is then what if? What if this woman has let's say gonorrhea and we can protect this baby from contracting ocular gonorrhea. So that's how these things can come about. 
but if you know with certainty um, your baby has no chance of contracting it, then those are the couples who tend to explore declining the erythromycin after the birth. I think the erythromycin is a very easy decision uh, to make because there is absolutely no benefit to having it if you are not um, a carrier. Um, and there are downsides to putting it in your baby's eye. It really interferes with the newborn's sight. It is like a sticky, gooey, globby ointment that goes across the eye opening. And that newborn eye contact between mother and baby or parent and baby in the beginning is really important. Why, why would you do that? And I do think that hospital practitioners are um, a lot more receptive to, to families declining the eye ointment, um, especially if they have a negative test on record. Vitamin K is a little bit trickier. Vitamin K does tend to be a trickier decision for parents because there is a small risk on either side of this decision. It is possible the baby could be born with such low levels of vitamin K that they could suffer from something called vitamin K deficiency bleeding, which can potentially be fatal. And then there are the risks from the injection, which you can look up online and see what the pharmaceutical inserts say. But that too can give some people pause. Really the bottom line is that the majority of the major medical associations around the world do strongly recommend the shot, but some people like to see if they can get oral vitamin K as an alternative. The bottom line is that we're more responsible for these decisions than we realize. And because we're responsible, we have to do the research so we can make an informed decision and partner with that doctor and come up with a plan that you know is right for you and for your children. Good luck with that because these hard decisions don't go away now that now that you're a parent. I totally agree. It's uh, that's a good way to put it that this is just the beginning of one of the many difficult parenting decisions that that you will make and we don't know what the right or wrong answer is in this situation. So, all right, here's a little easier question. Um, how does the placenta come out and when does this happen? What does this feel like and what should I expect? Well, typically it is, it typically does happen, um, within 30 minutes to an hour after your baby's born. Um, it obviously comes out after the baby and it comes out by uterine contraction, same as what brings your baby out. Um, it's much easier to give birth to than a baby because it's soft. It has no bones. It has slides no out. It has no head. It has no <laughs> shoulders. It's squishy. You do notice the birth of the placenta because you have just given birth to a baby and you're very sensitive. And as the placenta comes through, you will feel it, but it is nothing. It's not comparable to giving birth to the baby. You know, in my years of doing this work, I've never met anyone who expressed a concern about birthing the placenta. And I found it to be very easy. Did you? For me, um, giving birth to the placenta was always very easy. But I do remember with my first, I was so incredibly exhausted at that point that I was very eager for the placenta to come out. And I, I didn't have the strength to um, sort of be patient. Will it out? <laughs> well, or just be patient for it. It, it, it yeah. created a little, a little bit of that feeling of like, I just need this to be over. And... I think sometimes that is a natural feeling 
for women that they're just that exhausted at the end of it. They just want it to be done. And if the placenta is taking longer, then that can be hard. And sometimes, you know, you're still having contractions and they just want that to be over. I think the most important takeaway from this question is just that the placenta has its own process and it will come and it's very mild compared to giving birth. And if you're breastfeeding, this can happen a little more easily, right? Because the breastfeeding causes the blood vessels to constrict, which then makes the uterus start to contract, which causes the uterus to shed the placenta off the uterine wall. Totally. And it's not necessary. It's not necessary. It's not like you need to put the baby to the breast to get the placenta to be born. It's just if your placenta is taking a long time, and some do hold on for whatever reason, a little longer. And sometimes your doctor, your midwife may have to help um, facilitate the birth of the placenta a little bit. But if you are struggling with it, if it is taking too long, you can breastfeed. And that certainly is helpful for continuing the oxytocin flow and keeping those contractions going. Sometimes a woman is just so exhausted at the end of birth, if she's had a very long labor, that the uterus just goes into this long resting phase. And that can delay the uh, birth of the placenta. But it's not something to be um, anxious about. It's not something to be afraid of. It's... Wait, speaking of nothing to be afraid of, uh, I had a couple in class once who started laughing when I was talking about the placenta. And I was like, what's going on, guys? What's so funny? And then they shared, they shared this story that when their friends were in the hospital and had just had their first baby... They were like bonding and everything was going really nicely. And then apparently the placenta just slipped out as it does. And the father did a double take at it and went, what's that? (laughs) (laughs) He thought her uterus was coming out or something. (laughs) But he just, he screamed, what is that? And everyone in the room was like, it's the placenta. That's that's a great point, actually, because um, I I do think people are very uninformed about what a placenta, they may may never have seen one. And sometimes for sure, we're not all midwives. (laughs) Yeah, no. Okay. Most of them haven't, but, um, I mean, no lay person has, it can feel a little overwhelming to see this massive, you know, organ. Yeah. Wow. Well, I am glad we are having this conversation (laughs) because the placenta really, you know, it's a really important part of the birth process and it has to come out and it is kind of shocking. Um, but it's also a beautiful, it's this incredible organ. And if you really take, you should after birth, if you can get your provider to give you a detailed tour of the placenta, it's amazing to look so at. Don't some people do like, um, not an imprint of it, but don't they yeah, put tree it on? Prints, they, they can, yeah, you can they... actually take the blood that's left on the placenta and you press the placenta into the paper and you make, um, it, it literally and, looks like the tree of life. It's like a painting. It is the tree of life. It, it is the tree of life. Yeah. There you go. It is. Yeah. Touche, Trisha. Touché. And then you can take it and plant it in your backyard and grow an apple tree. <laughs> that's what I did. Down to Birth is sponsored by Postpartum Soothe. Recovering from a vaginal birth takes many women by surprise. Everyday activities like sitting, walking, and going to the bathroom can be uncomfortable. And Postpartum Soothe is just the remedy to support your healing and relieve discomfort. Postpartum Soothe is a 100% organic herbal blend that's applied to maternity pads in the days immediately following your birth, giving you all the benefits of a sits bath 24-7. That's because herbs like comfrey leaf, uva ursi, and witch hazel are known for their antimicrobial and anti-inflammatory properties. Postpartum Soothe can be prepared anytime during the third trimester, and it makes a beautiful baby gift. 
It's a must for any woman seeking a faster, easier recovery from a vaginal birth. Visit postpartumsoothe.com. That's postpartumsoothe, S-O-O-T-H-E dot com, and use promo code DOWNTOBIRTH. Let's do this quick one. This question is simply, will someone be able to assist me with breastfeeding as soon as the baby is born? I have an easy answer to that. Go ahead. Your baby will assist you with breastfeeding as soon as your baby is born. How did I miss that? <laughs> so obvious. Shame on me. No, no, not shame on you. But you're it right. Truly you're right. let your baby lead the way. Now, if for some reason that isn't working, then will there be another person there to assist you with breastfeeding? Maybe. Exactly. So that this is where okay. So the first question, the first point here is are you birthing in a baby-friendly facility? If you are birthing in a, quote, baby-friendly facility, now this is a designation that some birthing centers and hospitals get after many years of going for this, let's say, credential, and it means they have to adhere to about 10 criteria that support breastfeeding, meaning they won't give you formula on your way home, they have to have a lactation counselor on hand at the birth, um, so that means, yeah, there will be a lactation counselor there. That's the first point. But here's the, the thing. The majority of women in this country are birthing in facilities that are not baby-friendly designated. And then the question becomes, what misinformation should you be prepared to potentially receive after your baby is born? Because now it's the nurse or potentially even the pediatrician giving you breastfeeding advice. And very frequently, it's not going to be evidence-based. They might say your baby has a little bit of jaundice and the best thing to resolve it is formula, when in fact, the best thing to resolve it is colostrum. Um, they might say your baby has low glucose and the best thing is formula, when in fact, it's better to start pumping if your baby can't latch on immediately or latch your baby on immediately and wait and give it time for those levels to normalize. But the key thing is, you ha how are you going to protect yourself from potential misinformation if there isn't someone there credentialed to support you in breastfeeding should you need that support? And trust, go in there trusting that you won't, but be aware of this in case you do. So I, you know, I have fairly strong feelings about um, the first 24 hours and breastfeeding and really not trying to have a lot of intervention. Um even if it's a professional lactation consultant, because this time period is a really important opportunity for you and your baby to learn how to do this together and to let your baby lead the way. So if you have never heard of or seen a video of the baby's breast crawl, I would just Google that and watch that. And I think you will be inspired to not want to intervene in this process after you see how competent and capable babies are at latching on. The breast crawl is pretty amazing it's to witness. It's remarkable. And every single baby does it, which tells you that they know exactly how to do this. They know exactly what to do. And if we get involved too soon, if we get our hands in there and we get pillows in there and we get blankets and we get all complicated, we completely disrupt that innate instinct. And I, I just believe that breastfeeding works best when we don't intervene a lot in those first 24 hours, even 48, even maybe the first few days. However, 
if it really is not working, which sometimes is the case, then having a professional person there to just tweak it a little. You really don't want a whole lot of manipulating and um, propping and rules. I mean, very anti-rules for a mother and baby to learn how to breastfeed together. It's kind of like two strangers on a dance floor. You put them together and they start this dance and they don't know much about each other. So they're sort of clumsy and stepping on each other's toes, but you got to let them go. You got to let them work through it. You got to let them find their own pace and their own rhythm. And then they kind of fall into this beautiful dance together. And much like the birthing process itself, there are times where we don't understand why the birthing process works so well by default. Uh, like that fear around tearing. Um, how come so many women don't tear at all? The vast majority of women who choose their own position for birth do not tear at all. And in your conscious mind, you're thinking, how is it possible that a head this big can come out of an opening this small? But you don't have to consciously understand things in order to know that they work. And breastfeeding is the same. We just have to trust it. In the case of the baby touching the perineum, you may never have known before that you get a surge of relaxant to the perineum that allows it to yield as soon as the baby touches it. But I often say to my clients, did you, did you have to know that? Now that you know that, it's really cool. It's really interesting. But did you have to know that now in order to trust or could you just trust? With breastfeeding, they're all the same things. Like your nipple gets darker. It kind of looks like a target. There's a scent from the amniotic fluid that starts emitting from the areola. Right, Trisha? It's, it's like magical stuff. It sounds like, it sounds I- incredible when you hear it. Completely, yes. And both birth and breastfeeding are not intellectual activities. And the more we intellectualize them and the more we create rules around them, the more we disrupt the, the natural state, which works, it works very well the vast majority of the time. So, um, so bottom line, trust that breastfeeding will work perfectly, allow it to happen rather than making it happen. And as a plan B, if need be, make sure you're getting evidence-based support from the right provider. Should you have questions or need any support? Yeah. And just to be sure we're being clear that like this doesn't mean don't pay attention to your baby's output. You want to make sure that they're having poops and pees in the normal amount and you do want to check their weight and stuff like that. This is not just like ignore everything and, you know, let it be. But um, just in the beginning stage, establishing breastfeeding, really the fewer the rules, the better it goes. Cool. Okay, we got a question about co-sleeping, Trisha. <laughs> this is cute. I don't know if she's from She's the from south. the South. <laughs> it's so cute. She kept writing y'all. Yeah. And anytime anyone says y'all, it's cute. I like it. <laughs> it's just, it's so, it is so darn yes, friendly. that's what it is. All right. So it says, hi, I love y'all's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I wanted to ask if y'all had any good resources and helpful blogs or advice on co-sleeping. I've heard it's controversial and that there's a safe and unsafe way of going about it. My husband is very hesitant to co-sleep, especially in only a queen-sized bed, which I can understand. Any resources or info you have would be so helpful. Thank you so much. And thank you, Deb, for Instagramming us with that question. 
So where do we begin with this, Tricia? There's so much to say about co-sleeping and what are the key points? Do you think? Yeah, there's a lot to say about co-sleeping. Um, I think it is an Im- important to just say that there are a lot of different ways that you can sleep, co-sleep or sleep near your baby. Co-sleeping doesn't necessarily have to mean bed sharing, right? So your baby doesn't have to be in the bed with you. Your baby can be in the bed with you, but your baby can also be in a separate sleeper that attaches to the bed. Um, and, and they're basically right next to you, but not in the bed. It can also be that you have your baby's bassinet or crib or whatever they sleep in right next to your bed. The important thing that the, the real benefits of co-sleeping come from sleeping near your baby, very close to your baby so that you and your baby are uh, in attuned to each other's cycles, sleep wake cycles. And this is what we know is actually preventative for SIDS, is that when mothers and babies sleep near each other and are breastfeeding, the risk of SIDS goes down. Yeah, so Deb, you're absolutely right that there's a safe way of going about it and an unsafe way of going about it. Um, You can get really good information online, so please make sure whatever we say, you complete your research on this. Um, So as Tricia said, there are actual benefits to your baby co-sleeping with you. And if you are going to breastfeed, I can't begin to tell you how much more sleep you're going to get if you co-sleep because um, if your baby wants you to if your baby wakes up every hour or 90 minutes during the night um, and you're jumping up on your feet you can literally feel weak in the knees you know we get so hypersensitive to our baby that we can be halfway across the room to get to our baby in the middle of the night without even being consciously awake you can just react and be on your feet when you hear the baby and you can literally be weak in the knees because you're sleep deprived. And then you're picking up your baby 10 seconds later in that state. So there is something to be said right off the bat for a breastfeeding mom who is going to be disrupted all night long for her baby. Let's give her some support in making that process easier. Sometimes the partner gets up and brings the baby to her, which is great because and frequently they fall right back to sleep anyway. Um, so they can get up and bring the baby to her. But how do we take care of this mom who keeps jumping up to get to her baby and then walking back to the bed or walking somewhere carrying that baby in that absolutely sleep-deprived state? Um, When the baby is co-sleeping with you, you can almost unconsciously make, you know, get your breast to the baby and your baby can nurse and you doze right off together. It's really lovely and beautiful. There are ways to do this responsibly. One of the first things to consider, and again, read about this, but it typically does not make sense to have your baby between you and your partner. That doesn't tend to be safer. It's not uncommon for that primary caregiver to be hypersensitive to the baby and for the other parent to be a little less sensitive to the baby. So they might roll over in bed and potentially, you know, knock the baby a little bit. So there is a method of using a blanket that is tucked partially under you with the baby in it and then wrapped around the baby and retucked under you so that the baby can't possibly roll away because you are pinning down the blanket. But that's just one idea. You know, if you're going to be having alcohol for any reason, you don't want to co-sleep if you're drinking. That's one of the top risks to a baby who's co-sleeping. There are some, yeah, there are some definite no-nos 
with co-sleeping that it has it has to be done responsibly yes and it's also really important that you make sure that where you co-sleep is a designated area that you're not falling asleep with your baby just anywhere for example falling asleep on a couch with a baby is very high risk um, or sleeping with the baby in a bed that's against the wall. It's it's not safe to have, it's not a best practice to have the baby between you and the wall. Um, so they some people use a pool noodle under the fitted mattress so that it's some kind of barrier, some kind of ledge that is up above the baby and the baby can't roll out. That's really the key thing you're looking for. But you could also get the one that attaches next to the bed, which is really nice because then you can sprawl out and sleep in whatever position you want. And you don't always have to sleep on your side with one arm over your head, allowing you to breastfeed. <laughs> that can just be a position you, you're like, you could walk around midday with your arm over your head because you get so used to sleeping in that position. Your body just goes that way, um, which can cause a lot of, of neck and shoulder strain. I can remember getting to a point where I was so exhausted and at this point in time I was having the baby in bed with me and I don't remember which baby it was and it probably could have been all three but sleeping topless and nursing was well established at this point and my baby was a little bit older but like literally the baby would latch on by themselves in the middle of the night and I wouldn't even I would barely wake up and they would just feed and go back to sleep (laughs) oh I'm not surprised at all (laughs) it was it was like oh perfect I barely even missed a wink you know it they have an innate ability to do it just it's what they're designed hardwired to do um just a couple more points on this just making sure that we you know really address some of the risk factors like people who smoke should not co-sleep with their babies there are certain things that really increase the risks and babies should be put to sleep on their backs that's still a recommendation um, babies shouldn't be sleeping in bed with other children. That's not a safe co-sleeping situation. Um, and you know, fluffy pillows and comforters and things like that should be removed from the bed. It should be very simple, uh, small amount, minimal amounts of bedding. They even say no stuffed animals. Yeah. No, sorry. No, no plushies in the bed with you. (laughs) I don't know why anyone would want to give any of that real estate to a stuffed animal in the first place, but it's worth mentioning there's so little in those days. The stuffed animals can stay on the floor. Yeah, they can just go anywhere. We don't. We yeah. really, really are not concerned about the stuffed animals. Um, water beds. You know, there's so much we can't possibly mention. Yeah, but, it's it's you know if your choice is to co-sleep, it is worthwhile to do your research to make sure that you are following safe protocols. Um, and again, the risk and SIDS reduction is seen in babies and mothers who are breastfeeding and co-sleeping. There is, that is an important part to it. I think another point worth noting is this is also maybe just the beginning of you and your partner really disagreeing about how to go about certain things. So welcome to that part of your life. Welcome to the world. (laughs) Because that is also going to become a lifestyle for you. But when it comes to something like, um, like, co-sleeping, the father has a legitimate concern about the safety, all you can both possibly do is keep your open mind and begin your research together. And don't get too attached to any decision until not only you do that research, but until you have your baby and you're living it. Because almost every couple I know that ended up co-sleeping went into that pregnancy being sure that they wouldn't. We really can't evaluate until we're in it as to what feels best and safest and right for us. 
And it will evolve. It will evolve. You may start one way and switch to another way and go back to another way. But it's the great thing is that today we have so many options for um, how we co-sleep with our babies. So that was another wonderful question. And what, what do we have to say, Tricia? We have, you can text the words down to birth as one word. You can text that to our number 22828. Yes, and sign up for our monthly newsletter. And on Instagram, we're at Down to Birth Show. And birth photos. We'd love to see your pregnancy or birth photos. So please share those with us as well. If you enjoy our podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review on Apple iTunes and share a favorite episode or two. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Down to Birth Podcast or contact us and review show notes at downtobirthpodcast.com. Please remember this information is made available to you for educational and informational purposes only. It is in no way a substitute for medical advice or a professional healthcare provider. The ideas presented represent our own thoughts and opinions and those of our guests. As always, hear everyone and listen to yourself. Thank you for tuning in and see you next time. I'm trying to make the Chris, I'm trying to make it easier for you, but I keep, I got it. I've got it in my head now. I'll be able to make, I think I'll be able to make the changes on the fly. All right. Okay. All right. Here we go.